How many of you are for that? Anybody? If you're opposed to it, oh well. Uh, you're dismissed if there's any classes. <laughs> but let's find our way to this. If you could put the slide up. Uh, we're looking at Christmas time and we're looking at Jesus and the angel appeared to Mary and said that you shall call this baby Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. I'm hoping you have an outline tonight. It's got all the scriptures that we're going to use. And so this is a key reference. Last week we looked at the word becoming flesh, didn't we? And how awesome and wondrous that was. Tonight we're looking at the name that Jesus was given. This is a common name in Hebrew, in Judaism. Jesus is the Greek rendering of his name. His Hebrew name was Yeshua, Yahashua, okay? Uh, and uh, Yahashua means Jehovah's salvation, or Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves, okay? And uh, the key to this in Matthew 1.21 is that Mary shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. And again, like I said, uh, Joshua is the Hebrew rendering. There were a lot of Joshua's throughout uh, the Jewish history. We know of Joshua who came after Moses, right? And uh, he delivered the people and brought them into the promised land. And there were Joshua's all the time, but there's something important about this Yeshua or this Joshua is that uh, he's the real deal. He, he is Yahweh's salvation, okay? And so that's what his name means, and it says he will do what? Save his people from their sins. So wherever you hear the name of Jesus, there is the power to what? Save people from their sins. This is important because quite often in Christianese, Christian language, we're so used to saying, well, Jesus saves. He can save you. Save you for what? You know, I had that question asked to me when I was working at GM. Some guy said, you know, I said, well, Jesus can save. And he goes, save, save, save from what? Save me from drowning? Save me some cash? Save, what do you mean he can save? You know, we're so used to understanding what that means. This is what it means, to save his people from their sins. Okay? And so what does the word save mean? It's a Greek word, sozo. Sozo means not just save it also means to deliver to take from one place and bring to another completely to make whole to heal to make sound all of these are involved in the word saved it means saved to the uttermost if you've ever heard that completely absolutely when we say deliver it means to take something from here and get it to its destination and completion here. God is able to deliver me, right, into the presence of God. So he's going to save us from our sins. Jesus is. So sin, harmatia. What is harmatia? What is sin? Sin in the Greek word there, harmatia, means to miss the mark, to fall short, to not meet the righteous requirements of God or the nature of God. We are not God. We fail it continually. And He is going to save us from failing. Say that with me. Save me from failing. Amen? So when you call on the name of Jesus, it has the sense that He's going to save me from failing. 
Jude says to keep us from falling. It's the same concept. He's able to keep us from falling. All right, so the name Jesus, and this is going to be simple but yet profound. We are so used to saying the name. When you say the name, you, know, you need to have in your sense, he's going to keep me. He's going to deliver me from falling, deliver me from sin, and deliver me from any unrighteousness. That's what the power of Christ is going to do in me. And that's what was declared. Now let's take a look at sin. Who is a sinner? How does sin affect us? Romans 3.23, it says this. Paul's uh, treatise on sin and salvation found in the book of Revelation, sorry, book of Romans, uh, comes forth in chapter 3 with the conclusion that all have sinned and fallen short of God. So that would include how many people? Everybody, from Adam till the last person born. It's the kids on a little field trip. Verses 11 through 12 say, There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands God, no one seeks God, all have turned away, together they have all become worthless, no one does good, not even what? One. Okay, is that a pretty clear statement of the depravity of man? Okay, no one can save themselves. No one can get to God by any work, any deed, any religious effort, any attempts, uh, uh, any kind of penance or religious meditation or anything else. You can't come near a holy God. There's nothing within you that would make you acceptable before God because we are born in sin and we are apart from God. Is that clear enough? What did Messiah come to do? Save us from that condition. Save us from that situation. And deliver us to the Father. Now the Jews didn't think that's what the Messiah was going to do. They, had, they didn't have that large of a scope of, of believing. They thought they were pretty good just as they are. The God's chosen people were good. We're God's chosen and uh, we've got a system here to clean us up through the sacrificial system. We're good. We just need getting deliverance from an oppressive Roman government. Once we've got that down and we're put back on top of the world nations, we'll be fine. But they weren't, were they? They were all still in Adam. They were not good. And Paul uses chapter 2 of Romans to say that even the Jews had failed miserably. And they cannot keep the law. So there are none righteous, no, not one. Gentiles or all the nations of man and even the chosen people, the Jews, all are sinners, all born of Adam, which means they're separated from God. We need a Savior to bridge this gap forever. So we've got to remove sin. But here's the key, and you, you need to know this. Now some of you might say, come on, I know all this stuff. Good. Get this down pat so you can start teaching it to other people. All right, if you know this, then just process it so you know tomorrow when you start talking to someone, you can deliver this message, okay? Amen. Okay, good. All right, so it's more than removing sin. There are so many Christians who believe, they believe this, that by accepting Jesus, Jesus takes away from the sins that they have right now. But then the next time they sin, they got to get Jesus back again because they've sinned and they need it covered. And then they got to get Jesus back and they sin again. I remember as a child doing this. I don't know how many times I prayed the sinner's prayer because every time I would fail, I would think I lost the Holy Spirit. I lost God. 
because he can't be where there's sin, and so he would leave me, and I'd got to go, Jesus, please come back. I'm in trouble. And we see it in churches all the time. People are moved to want to have Jesus back because they don't want to go to hell, so they, they ask Jesus back into the life again and again and again and again because what do we end up doing again and again and again and again? Sinning. Okay, so we've got a problem here. Now, Jesus didn't come just to wash away or cover the present sin. Jesus came to eradicate the sin nature. That's the depth of this thing. Let's take a look at that. Romans 6, verses 5 and 6. For we have been united with him in death like his. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self or our old man was what? Crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? See, I need some participation here. If you're not reading the verse, you're not thinking. So read it with me. Put your eyes on this paper and read it with me. For we know that our old self or our old man was what? Crucified with him in order that the what? Say it again, in order that the might be brought to what? Nothing. So that we would what? What's Jesus going to do? Save his people from their sins. All right, a lot of interaction tonight, and I'm going to demand it. The name of Jesus, when you hear that name, I want you to think, you think, oh, pretty flowing hair, nice beard, Jesus, he's good. I want you to think, save his people from their sins. Will he get the job done? Will he get the job done? Okay, he's going to save his people from their sin? Sins. Every known sin. He's going to save his people from their sins. So what does this verse say that he's going to do? What happened to our old man? Our old nature. It was crucified. Now, what does crucified mean? Put to sleep? Dead. You crucify someone, what are they? Dead. So what's been put to death? Our old man. Our old identity in Adam. If you identify yourself with Christ on the cross... Isn't that how he started this verse out? If we identify with him on the cross, if we die with him on the cross, we will also rise with him in his resurrection. Isn't that what he was saying? So that's what you said, Arlene. You said if she would put her faith on that cross. Renee, you said probably the same thing to this young man from Iraq. If he would put his faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you're, you're quoting Romans, so he would identify that death with his death. Right? You with me? Okay? So if we die with Jesus and by faith unite with him that he was dying for me, that's me, were you there when they crucified the Lord? Yes, I was. I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when you identify with Christ on the cross, that faith action identifies you there. What was put to death? Your old man, your old nature. Who you were in Adam has now been put to death. That sin nature is now put to death so that the body of sin, 
that living, powerful entity and nature of Adam in you will come to nothing. Put to death. Okay? Why? So that now you can be born in Christ and receive His nature. It's a radical shift in being. Everybody wants to see a miracle. We heard of two fantastic miracles tonight. Two people being put to death in Adam and rising to life in Christ. There's no greater miracle than a change of being, a change of identity in heaven. That is crazy good. This is more than just saying, Jesus, be my Savior. Now i got to figure out how to live like a Christian and learn the language and learn the behavior. This isn't a behavioral change. This is a nature change. This is a change of being at the core. The behavior will follow. You can only behave according to your nature. There are people who never get born again but follow the behavior of a Christian, but eventually that's going to wear out and they're going to follow the nature of Adam. So there's a radical change that took place. Salvation is radical. Your nature's been changed. You've now become uh, alive in Christ. And as he says, no longer a slave to what? Sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. So some of you need to change your brain. You need to change your thinking. We'll get into that in a little bit. But you think you're enslaved to this thing, then, then you're not understanding your nature in God. And there are many believers who are born again, have a new nature in Jesus, but live like slaves to Adam. They have no idea that what they've been free of. They've been, the prison doors are open, they can go free, but they choose to live in the cell of bondage to sin. Okay? No, he's changed your nature. This thing starts from the inside out. How many of you are glad about that? I prayed with someone last week who said, I can't accept Jesus yet because I haven't gotten rid of my sin. And I had to help him understand you will never, never get rid of your sin without him. You can't. Adam can't get rid of Adam. You got to put that thing to death in Christ. All right? Now, Paul goes on and says this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were what? Let's read it again. And such were... Okay. But you were what? You were what? You were what? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Because Jesus came to do what? I'll give you more. I'll give you more uh, uh, lead-in so you can follow me, okay? All right? Okay, let me, let's see here. So he goes through and he starts sexually immoral. Okay. Sexual sins. Um, I'm going to have you stand if this identifies you, okay? From the past. Wow. See, now there's a man who's confident and understanding. He's got no problem. 
Some of you are like, I ain't going to do that. I ain't gonna. Come on, sexual sin. Come on, sexual sin. I can't believe you're not all standing. I, come on. You can be seated. Why am I doing this? Because this is a testimony that Jesus does what? Come on, give me some more. Does what? Yeah, come on. What do you, are you absolutely thinking that you come to church as if everybody here is so clean? The reason we're here is because we've come to the knowledge that we're so filthy. And I needed Jesus to do what? Okay, now we've got Jesus in the right place, doing the right thing, all right? Now, I'm not trying to push this, but, I mean, you include all sexual immorality from the thought life to the physical action of it all, okay? And look at one sin is not worse than another. Basic sin is self-medication. It's basically self-medication because we're wounded, we're hurt, we don't know what to do to find some kind of gratification, some kind of pleasure, some kind of something in life, and so we typically do something to get some kind of pleasure out of this miserable life. I'm talking pre-Jesus. Okay? Would, would you agree with me? Okay. See, there's a failure in the church that has totally disconnected allowing Jesus to do what he came to do. We all pretend that we're all fine. Jesus came to do a work, but we're all so righteous and we're all so perfect. And I'm, well, when you get through with this, you'll see that he's going to keep doing this work. All right, so uh, uh, this was before sexually more Idolatry. All right, how many of you had a problem with idolatry? In other words, you had something before God. This is pre-Jesus, folks. This is not hard. Stand up. If, if you had something in the place of God in your life. Yeah. Okay. You may be seated. I'm standing through this whole thing, so <laughs> you can figure it out. I got saved at five years old. I still had to deal with all this. Right? We'll get into that later. All right. I'll, I'll stop having you stand here because some of you might. Adulterers, okay. Uh, homosexuality. Uh, all right, stealing. Uh, anybody steal? Pencil from work? Pens? Gums? Gums. <laughs> Gum? Uh, right? There's a lot of ways to steal, isn't there? Information? Uh, you may be seated. Uh, uh, plagiarism? Time? Ooh, that's a good one, right? Stealing time from your employer, right? Wow. A lot of thievery. What else? Greedy. Anybody greedy here before you knew Jesus? Were you greedy? Stand up if that's you. All right. I, I, okay, good. Some of you are incredible saints. I can't believe it. Drunks, drunkards, drunks, you drank too much. Okay. You know, any kind of, any kind of uh, a substance abuse, we'll say substance abuse, right? Okay, you may be seated. Reviler, what's a reviler? Yeah. To revile something. We'll just say people who have anger issues. 
He said, I don't know, but I'm sure I did it. <laughs> Swindlers, huh? Cheaters. How many cheat? Come on, in fifth grade, you cheated, and I know you did. Got too much change back, and you kept it. Doggone it. All right, you may be seated. Now, here is the wonderful thing. Now, here, here's an interesting thing, that before you know Jesus, Jesus knows you by your sin. That's how you're identified. I'm, of course, God knows your name. But he categorizes you. I'm talking pre-Jesus. I'm not talking about saved people. He categorizes unsaved people according to their sins. So those who are liars, typically the, the bulk of their sinful activity is in what? Lying. The, the, the main emphasis of their sin life in adulterers is what? adultery right lying and cheating comes into that too right so so but something happens from sinners when you come and identify with christ at the cross you're taken out of that identification and you're given a new identification as saint you're given a new name and glory and you're identified as his child now that is awesome isn't it now you may still not be all cleaned up it's, it's not the issue of your behavior and your sin. It's the issue of who has saved you. Does that make sense to you? All right, so I love this, I love this verse because here's the definition of the church. In verse 11, and such were some of you. Do you understand what church is? Church is a place where all of us who have come to the knowledge of our sin, come together to thank Jesus because he did what? Oh, you're getting it now. He saved me from my sin. He healed me from my sin. He delivered me from my sin. And this is what he did first. He eradicated the nature of sin out of me. Oh, thank God. How could I ever, how could I ever overcome sin if its nature is still in me okay how am i going to overcome it he has to get rid of it i can't be identified in adam because i'll only live up to my father adam i need to be identified in christ who is the righteousness of god in fact that's our next verse for if one becomes uh for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through the one man how much more shall we receive the abundance of grace and the what of righteousness to reign in life through the one man jesus christ righteousness or right relationship is a what free what gift you do not earn your right standing with the father you cannot some people like to mix the the grace of salvation with good works gets me saved no 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 Grace gets you saved, which empowers you to good works. Okay? It is a gift. How many of you were born? It's not a trick question. How many of you were born? You were immediately, the minute, the second you were born, you were born in sin. You were a sinner. The, the, there, there's your free gift. It's a free gift. It's automatically yours. Given to you by whom? Adam. Adam. That's our inheritance from Adam. How many of you want to keep that inheritance? No, no, no. no. I want a new inheritance. 
There's a new gift that is immediately given to you the minute you identify with Christ on the cross. The old man is put to death by faith with Christ. The new man is birthed in you, and immediately you are given the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. You are immediately given the gift of right standing with God. The minute you received Christ, two minutes after that, I can bet you're going to sin. What does that mean? You lost your righteousness? No, no. You have got to understand salvation. The church has got to understand what this salvation is. God saves you, secures you in that salvation, and now is going to teach you how to live it. You can never live it without having it. Does that make sense? But there's so many Christians trying to live it, not knowing they have it. They hope someday they'll go to heaven. If you don't know you're saved, John said, I wrote this whole thing for you. I wrote my gospel so that you can know that you're saved. All right, let's go on. You're doing well. So I have a new position and a new identity, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? All right, do you understand the depth of that word, new creation? So this isn't just a, a philosophy, an ideology. You have literally been changed as a being. Okay? There's three kind of beings in this earth. There are human beings, there are demonic beings, and there are Jesus beings. Christians, you're not in Adam anymore. You're a whole new species if I could use that term. I don't know if it's proper, but we will for tonight. You're a new creation. The old has what? Behold, the new has come. You are righteous before God. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the what? Become the righteousness of God, literally the holiness of God. When God says, be holy as I am holy, it wasn't a torturous trick. Because in Adam, Israel could never be holy. They tried, didn't they? For a thousand years, Israel tried to live a holy life. How'd they do? Not too good. Because the nature never changed, did it? Adam was never taken out of their nature. And all they could do was cover it with blood, cover it with blood, animal skin and blood. All we could do is sacrifice with blood, cover it, but it never eradicated the issue, never changed the nature until the sacrifice came that would put Adam to death in us, give us a new nature, his spirit of holiness in us, so we will become the righteousness of God. It's an exchange taking place. Say, I am... The righteousness of God. Say it again. I am the righteousness of God. You have to live out of that mentality. But again, many live out of the mentality as, I hope I can do good today for Jesus. I hope I can try as hard as I can. If you're living out of your best attempt to be right, it's a weak platform. But when you're living out of what has been given to you as a gift, you are the righteousness of God. I don't feel like the righteousness of God. You are. Well, I make mistakes. Get up and keep walking and learn how to walk as a child of God. 
Then you'll have a Christian standing next to you. You're terrible! And you say, you know what, buzz off. I'm walking. Sorry, old 70s term. I'm walking. To walk in the righteousness of God. That's my identity. You've got to own this identity. You've got to own the identity that you are the righteousness of God or you'll never live up to it. Does this make sense to you? All right, you're a new creation. Listen, if you're not, this is all semantics. If you're not, this is just words. We're back to another philosophy, another religion. If this stuff is not a reality, that you have a new nature, I mean, why is he saying it? You are the righteousness of God. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If that's not true, if you don't accept that and if you don't believe it, then you're just in another religion. So, Let's keep going. 1 John 7, 9. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from what? All sin. All sin. The blood of Jesus. Jesus came to do what? Yes. Came to save His people from their sins. Did He accomplish this? Is He accomplishing this? Does the offer still stand? Okay. And we can assuredly tell people the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Well, almost all sin, because I'm sure there's really some bad ones that he wouldn't accept. Right? There's some bad. What if you kill someone? Would God forgive you? What if you were homosexual? Could God forgive you? What if you're... See, I'm just being silly aren't I? But yet, how do we treat people that are sinners? Do we treat them like, I've got a remedy? Or do we look at them and judge them? Many times we're judgmental of people because we don't understand the free gift we had. We thought we had to work for it. I worked hard for this. And the world can't accept this either. They get really messed up when they say, oh sure, some guy could go out and do this and do this and do this and do this and on his deathbed he could say, forgive me Jesus and you'd let him go to heaven. I got nothing to do with it. If there's a true conversion, Jesus came to save people from their sins. And if this person truly looks to the Lord for salvation, calls on the name, that name will go to work. Right? The blood of Jesus will cleanse from all sin. The blood of Jesus will cleanse from all sin. Cleanse. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the word confess means to agree. If we agree with God, we confess our sins. If we agree, I'm a sinner. Now, how many of you... um, how many of you got saved like in an instantaneous salvation? You came to, you, you, you heard the gospel and you went, oh my gosh, that's me, I want it. Did anybody have that kind of an experience? Radical. Okay, did anybody have a gradual sense? You wrestled with it. I need your hands. All right, you heard the gospel. I don't know if I'm convinced. I don't know if I'm really a sinner. I mean, you know, right? Okay. Till you finally did what? You agreed with God, right? 
because typically you end up on your face. You fall flat. Or you ran into a wall. (laughs) Some kind of sin just absolutely is destroying you. Right? That's why most people who who are weak and feeble and sick and dying come to Jesus. And so the world says, oh, you need a crush, you need a, you need a religion. Self-sufficient people usually don't come to Jesus. Why? Because they think they're all that. They don't agree with God that they're sinners. Right? And so that's the biggest obstacle. They don't agree. They don't see the sin. But if you confess, if you agree with God at sin, he's faithful and he's just, justice, because that was done at the cross, to cleanse us from what? All. Every verse I've been reading to you, what does he say he's going to do with, with how much sin? All sin. Is this name powerful or not? Do not hesitate to bring this name to any sinner in any sin. Does that make sense to you? Will he save the worst of the worst? Absolutely. Jesus came on a mission to do what? Now you're at the... <laughs> yes. That's right. Okay. Now this is 1 John 1, nine. Big debate. Is, is this a salvation verse or is this a verse that we need to keep using? And, and uh, I think it's both. First of all, when were you cleansed from all your unrighteousness? At the cross, at salvation. This thing was applied then. You're in Christ, okay? You see, if you're not in Christ, you're in you and you're doing Jesus things. You're either in Jesus or you're not. You're either in Jesus or you're in Adam. There's no in-between. Can you be both in Christ and in Adam? You cannot. You have to either be in Christ or in Adam. Now, if you're in Christ, you have been saved from how much unrighteousness? All of it. Okay? But some of you are confused because you know that there's still issues you're dealing with. We'll get to that in a second. You have a new nature and you are saved from all unrighteousness. Now some people go as far as saying, therefore I no longer ever need to confess my sin because I'm saved from all of it and I never need to agree with God at sin. I think that's foolishness. You better uh, pay, pay attention to when God calls out a sin and agree with it so that you can get it under the blood. Why? Would he kick you out of the kingdom? No. You're just going to be messing around with that stuff till, till you know, the cows come home. I don't know why that is there, but till you hit it again and again and again. What does Jesus want to do for you? His present activity is to do what? Yeah. To deliver you out of this mess. You got saved. You got secured. You are the righteousness of God. But he's got to eradicate all that's in there. If he did it all at once, you'd be nothing. Isaiah was in front of God and he said, Woe is me, I'm falling apart. He was unraveling, I'm undone, my bones are falling, I'm dissolving in front of God. And the only thing he could do was confess. Ah! Ah! That's all you can do in the presence of a holy God. You identify him, he identifies you. God help us. This is why the nearer you draw to God in your devotion and in your life, guess what? 
Ah! What shows up more and more? Sin. Is that a bad thing? No, it's the best thing that could happen to you because Jesus wants to do what? I keep pointing. There's a monitor there. It's that verse. You think Jesus is right there. He's not. This is what I'm trying to get at. First of all, what salvation is and what Jesus is busy doing. All right. So where's the problem? You know it, Romans 7.21. So I find this law that when I want to do right, evil lies right at hand. Listen, I delight in the law in my inner being. Your identity in Christ, your new man, your new nature in Jesus loves the law of God, the word of God. You want to serve God, right? How many of you want that? How many of you delight? Oh, you're hungry to serve and honor and please God, right? That's your delight. And how many of you have this problem? In, your, in the members, what's a member? Your body, another law is waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What are your members? Your body, this flesh, it's a mechanism. It's a fallen mechanism. That didn't get changed. Okay? So you still have what the Bible calls your flesh, which includes your mind and your thought life and your body. I have urges. I have desires. I have needs. I have patterns of behavior. Though I've become the righteousness of Christ, I'm still in the old outfit, which is in tatters. But what did Jesus come to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, see, that's the thing. This thing didn't stop once you got saved. Now you're really in for it because now he's on the inside. He's going to work. Not to be mean, but in fact, to be so loving that this thing that has been dogging you and eating at you and breaking you and shaming you and guilting you, he says, I'm here for rescue. I'm going to get it for you. Work with me. And we'll find it out. He goes on and he says this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he takes us into Romans 8 and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. That's how he's going to do it. He got Jesus on the inside. All right? Listen, please take this message to your fellow Christians so that they begin to understand what salvation is. It's power and the love of God, which is absolutely transforming. And we can change the face of the church into a mighty warrior army in the heavenlies for God. Instead of a weak people who pretend they're righteous and fail to sin daily. We're not letting him get his job done. Let's go on. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, In view of God's grace and mercy, you see, here's the mercy. He saved us while we were yet sinners. That's total grace. Grace is not giving you an excuse to sin. Grace is, in fact, putting the power in you to overcome sin. We've used grace as an excuse for sin. That's like saying Jesus came to die to give me a reason to sin. Does that make sense to you? 
When I talk about this and I talk about the being secured in Christ and having a new nature and that if you sin, God's not going to kick you out, but he's going to work with you to get over that sin, people say, oh, you're giving people a license to sin. I am not giving you a license to sin. I'm speaking of grace and righteousness that gives you the power to overcome sin. If people are stuck on how much sin they can get away with while they're saved, I don't think they're saved because that new nature is yearning to please God. Let's go on. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True worship is that your body. Oh, we got to stop here. True worship is offering your body as a living sacrifice. We Pentecostals love worship. We've trained people to come into this building and to lift hands and sing and shout and dance and do with their bodies all sorts of stuff out there that is ungodly. But they worship and feel real close to Jesus when they worship. That is not true worship. True worship is what you do with your body, mind, and soul. True worship is how you live as a sacrifice to God. Now, this is what we must do. This is all my introduction. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Here's our problem. Our flesh, our body is conformed to patterns. We all live in patterns. You have an alarm clock to set your pattern. When you get up, you live as a pattern. You eat your pattern breakfast. You take your pattern drive to the work. You do your patterned thing at work. You think your patterned thinking about other people. You think your patterned uh, processes of, of women or men. You have patterns that you've established. And these patterns were formed, compacted, and shaped in you according to the media, the culture you live in, and the people around you, the house you grew up in, the things that have happened to you, and all of these things have conformed a pattern of behavior that we live. Much of it's self-medicating, much of it is self-deprecating, much of it is, is all ego, much of it is all psychology, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus came to what? Save his people from their sin and their patterns of sin. It's all patterned. Do you believe me that you're patterned? We are all patterned. There's a new pattern that God wants to establish in us. But you've got to die. You've got to live a living sacrifice to repattern your life. How many of you have ever gotten married? Anybody get married? You had to repattern your life, didn't you? There's a, oh boy, there's a new pattern in this thing. Her pattern's not my pattern. I got a different pattern than you got. Now we had to repattern. Does that make sense, right? Now you're in a kingdom and you have to repattern your mind, your mind, your thinking. Some, there's demonic thought in your mind. Before you knew Jesus, there were strongholds and ruts and patterns that the enemy made sure that were put in there. Then outside that, there are addictions and flesh patterns that are rooted and grounded deep in there. But don't give up because Jesus came to do what? And that's what I want to get across to you today. This thing's ongoing. You think you got saved, and from here on out, you begged Jesus for help. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what your prayer life's like. Help me, God. Help me, Jesus. 
Help me. Come back. Come down here. Do something for me. What's his name? Jesus saves. Jesus. What, is his, what does his name mean? He will what? What he has begun, he's able to complete. All right, he began the saving work in you. He's not going to stop. Now look at it this. The ongoing work of being saved from sin. Now here's the bulk of my message. Okay? All right. There is an ongoing work of salvation in you. The Bible talks about um, being saved and uh, uh, getting saved and I'm in the process of salvation and I'm going to be saved. It talks about a, a, a salvation that uh, happens at a, at a time in history in your life, but it also talks about the salvation that's being worked out in your life and it talks about the full manifestation of that salvation when we get a new body and Christ returns. So this thing is big, and it is all ongoing. See, what we've done is we've said this, if you accept Jesus, you're going to go to heaven, and you won't go to hell. Get saved. Okay, I'm saved. Okay, good luck. Now struggle the rest of your life. There's an altar here to repent whenever you sin. That's the best we've got to offer people. Is that the best Jesus has to offer? But isn't that how most of us live? Come on, be honest. Okay. Listen, half the time when your sin's being identified, who do you think is identifying it? The one who wants you to agree with him. He's patient, loving. He said, I'm sorry, look at You've got a two-by-four sticking out of your back. That's why it hurts. Right? You go to the doctor and say, doctor, it hurts right here. Well, let me take a look. Oh, you've been shot three times. There's three bullets there. Oh, it really hurts. Can I take the bullets out? No. I'm going to take some aspirin. <laughs> All right, well, you come back and see me when you need it. That's our Christian walk. He identifies something that's utterly destroying us, but we don't want to agree with him. This work isn't over yet. How many of you are saved? How many of you have a moment you were saved, you identified with Christ, you are the righteousness? So how many of you are the righteousness of God? All right. How many of you struggle with flesh patterns? Okay. How many of you want Jesus to keep saving you? All right. So by me using the word saving, I'm saying delivering, healing, completing all that he wants to do. Right? Okay. Because look at what the Holy Spirit will do, Romans 8, 27. He who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is put in you because your sin's been eradicated. Sin has been removed. You're identified as righteous. So the Spirit of holiness now lives in you. Holy Spirit can't live in a, in a sinner. Can he? No, no. He had to clean you. And what was the cleaning agent? The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness, right? So now the spirit of holiness can dwell in you. Here, so God's spirit's dwelling in you to do what? To finish what Jesus started. To clean you up. To work out all the poison and all this patterned foolishness that, we're, that we have in us. And God searches our hearts and he checks in with the Holy Spirit in us. And the spirit says, yeah, over here, Father, we've got an issue right over here. He says, let's work on that area. 
He says this in Hebrews, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One of my favorite verses. He has what? Perfected. Now that's a completion, isn't it? He has perfected. That Use your English grammar. Has perfected means this thing's done. So your salvation, your righteousness, your sanctification is perfect in Christ. You've become saved. You are sanctified. You are the righteousness of God. You are perfect or complete in Christ. You don't need anything else for saving. You don't need anything else to add to Christ's work. It is complete. It is perfect. He has perfected. Now, listen to the rest of this. Those who are what? Being sanctified. You getting this? So he secures you and sets you in his camp and says, now I'm going to teach you how to live out of this sanctification, out of this righteousness, out of this holiness. But what if I fail you? I'll teach you how to get over that and how to work through it and how to get past it. I want you to become a what? Overcomer. We're overcomers. We're overcomers. We love to say that. We've overcome him. We've overcome the devil. We overcome. We overcome. Can I ask you, what is the one thing we need to overcome? Sin. We all say, oh, I've got to overcome the devil. Oh, fine, overcome the devil. But you've got a bigger problem on your hands. You. <laughs> You're the problem. The devil only comes after your sin and weak issues. It's the only way he can trip you up. If you get those dealt with, he can try, and it isn't going to work. So we all say, oh, I want to be an overcomer, overcomer. How many of you want to be an overcomer of sin? Are you sure? Okay, so what you're saying is you want to continually be sanctified. Is this right? So what then must the Holy Spirit and Jesus do? Identify sin. But we don't want Him to identify sin because then we'd feel bad and that we couldn't approach Him. Wrong! That's the whole reason you should be approaching Him. How many of you have ever felt so bad about your sin that you can't approach God? Come on, honestly. And do you see the trick? That's the trick. That's the trick. When you have failed God, when sin has shown up and you realize it, that's the time to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You're showing it. You're showing me. It's a failure in my life. It's a weakness. It's a pattern. Help me. How do I get past this thing? Through all the tears and crying. Because what is Jesus going to do? How can he save you from your sin if you don't even know it's there? How many of you trip over things and then you turn on a light? How many of you have stubbed your toes in the dark, right? So what do you do in the night? You turn a light on. Why? So you don't do it again. This is what he's doing in us. This is what we're doing. But let's not talk about sin. Let's not deal with people's sin. Let's all pretend we're good. We all look good. You're so good, people. You are. You are. But let's deal with this head on. Could you imagine? 
Could you imagine if we had a sign out there that said, God's going to deliver you from addictions. God will deliver you from your broken life. God will heal you from sin. God is going to save you from your shame and your guilt. Could you imagine if we got out there and we said, oh my gosh, I used to do this and to do that, but God saved me. How many of you love when people just get saved? They just tell everyone. Why? Because they feel delivered from their sins. And then we educate them in Jesus, and then they go, oh, I don't want anyone to know that I sin. <laughs> I got to look good. Isn't there something wrong with that? Okay. First Thessalonians, may God himself, I love that, not an angel, not anybody else, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, how? Through and through. Every layer. Every layer. I hate, all right, I'll back up. Take out the word hate. (laughs) It annoys me when I am around fake Christians. And what I mean by fake Christians is they're all that, all righteous. You know what my favorite preachers are? Preachers who, who identify their sin issues. Because I've been around a number of them who, man, they just walk on one. They are are so holy, so sanctified. I don't know anybody in that condition. And in fact, you can't be till you get there. So stop it. God wants to sanctify you through and through. Now listen, he goes further. Your whole what? Spirit. Your whole what? Soul. That's your intellect, your emotions, and your will. And your whole what? Body. So Jesus came to do what? in your spirit, soul, and body, your entire being. And he said, I'm going to do this through and through. I am going to get in there into the depths of every aspect of your emotional being, every aspect of your mental cognition, every aspect of the patterns of your flesh, your behavior. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to deliver you from it. Can I show you something that you did wrong today so that we can do it right tomorrow? He never condemns. He is called the comforter, the paracletos. He defends us, but he's got to teach us. He's got to instruct us. But you have to agree with him. And say, oh yeah, you're right, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? And he's going to show you. How many of you have had experiences, you're driving along and all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, that's why I do that. You had a God moment. You, didn't even, you weren't even thinking about it. And he shows you why you behave a certain way. And it's because your Aunt Gertrude slapped you when you were a kid. I don't know, but you have this attitude and you didn't realize the root of it. And now you hate all ants, white-haired ladies. And, and you realize, I need to get healed of that. Sorry. <laughs> I just made it up. It's not me. (laughs) Have you ever had that moment where a revelation of why you sin came into view? No condemnation attached to it, but in fact, liberty. Is anybody with me on this? Can you imagine if that starts triggering more, more, more? He won't give you more than you can handle because he wants you whole. He wants you full. He wants to have you be able to hurdle this thing and overcome it. He's the one doing it, folks. So it's in our flesh, okay? So he's, he's, Jesus came to do what? And he's doing that right now, right in this room, right now. He's saying, I want to do this for you. I want to do this for you. You've had this thing for so long. You've been playing. You've been justifying. Come on. I can help you with this. He wants to identify it. Now, I'm going to end it with this. 
There's two ways to help identify these patterns. There's two ways that he's going to, to sanctify us through and through, to sift us through and through, not like the devil, but with the ability to eradicate the poison in us, the stuff that does damage to our heart with Jesus. And so there's two ways. There's the Word and there's the Spirit. The Word is living and active as a two-edged sword. It's sharp. It cuts in between. There's that sanctifying between the, the Spirit and soul the heart and the marrow. James says this, that the Word of God is like a mirror. When a man looks in the mirror, he sees his true self. So when you stay in the Word, everybody, what will become identified? Our true self, where we fall short, where there is some kind of sin issue in here. Does that therefore mean stay away from it because you don't want to feel bad? But most of us do. I don't want to feel convicted. No, run to the conviction. His arms are held open. Why? Wherever there is sin, Jesus is standing there and saying, come on, let's get through this thing. He's not going, oh my gosh. Oh, oh. You filthy thing. Get away from me. He's saying, come, come on. Let's deal with this. Come on, let me show you how you fell. Let me show you what happened here. You've been tricked again. My son, my daughter, I don't want you tricked anymore. I don't want you fooled. Honey, if you would just not do this, I can help you out of that. He's there at every failure we have. He's there saying, come on, come on, let me get you through this. Okay, so the Word does that. The Word identifies it. The Word shows it. Now, we can be rebellious to that. And when we're rebellious, He'll discipline us. Many times, discipline is to what end? Why do we discipline our children? To hurt them. No. (laughs) To instruct them. To teach them. Am I right? To teach them. To to help them learn and grow. So yeah, He'll discipline us. and, And He'll have our sin find us out. Can I tell you what? If you won't deal with your sin, He'll let your sin find you out. And I'm telling you, that is never good. Because those who around you find it out, they're not as gracious as He is. And they'll remind you. Then there's the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. Pray, pray. The Spirit, He speaks to you. He directs you. So the bottom line now, okay. His name is what? Jesus. And He came to do what? We have a message today for Christmas that this world is dying to hear. He's here to save you from your sin. You don't need to convict them of their sin. He'll deal with their sin. Bring them to the one who has a way to save them from their sin. Now, I have to give a warning to this. When we deal with sin, you don't want to be sin conscious. We can get so sin conscious, we're pursuing our sin. I don't want you sin conscious. I want you Jesus conscious. Jesus will identify the sin to deliver you from it. But if you're all about, oh, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. In fact, we're going to start a ministry in the church that will identify your sin for you. And so when you come in, we'll hand you a list of our observations of how sinful you are. And then our sin team will call you up. Say, hey, we followed you today and we know where you went. And we want to know You can get so sin conscious that you're missing 
the Savior consciousness. Does that make sense to you? We want to be Jesus conscious because Jesus is doing what? Yeah, yeah. That's the emphasis. It's that name and what he does. Let's bow our heads. I am praying right now that there's a freedom for you to deal with sin in your life. You're secured. You're saved. You're made righteous. So now, deal with it. Deal with the patterns that you know are sin. He's identified them. 